morning. Our text will come from the New Testament book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 1. If you would like to open your Bibles there, uh, or you can follow along on the screen in just a few moments. Philippians chapter 1, uh, for our time together this morning, I would like for us to consider the pathway to joy. The pathway to joy. I don't generally try to capitalize on things that are hot topics and going on at that particular moment uh, as far as, uh, you know, uh, abusing that or or overplaying it uh, for sermon uh, purposes. However, uh, this has been a very unusual week for most of us. Troy picked a good time to go down with his knee, and uh, so I've been working uh, with uh, Jeff McKnight. He and I have been running Troy's Little Debbie route, and we went in Thursday morning, and we stocked Walmart with uh, several cases of Debbies, and uh, went back in Friday morning to restock it again, and it was the first time I'd ever seen it. We had no product. I'm not talking about we were you know, low on this and maybe out of one here and, and, and all that and the other, but we were out. Our shelves were bare. So we loaded up heavily Friday morning, and we went in there, and we put as much product as we could on the shelf. And then we went into the back, and we put uh, about 20-something cases in the back in the overflow uh, that is given to us for uh, storing some things for overflow. And so we went in there and and stocked the shelves as hard as we could and put it in the overflow and put about 20-something cases back there. And Friday afternoon, I happened to have to go to Walmart to pick up a couple of things, uh, which was a bad idea. But I went to Walmart, and I happened to walk by. And, uh, of course, everybody was fighting, trying to grab the last uh, roll of of toilet paper, even to the point where they were buying the cheap Walmart brand that nobody normally buys, you know. And and they were just grabbing it like it was gold-lined or something. And I happened to look over on Friday afternoon. We don't usually restock on Friday afternoon. And I looked over at the Debbie shelves, and they were empty again. I thought, my gracious, we just filled these things up about two or three hours ago. And so I called Troy, and I said, hey, Troy, I'm going to go ahead and go get all the overflow out of the back, and I'm going to put it uh, out on the shelves. Uh, At that time, Walmart looked like an ant hill with just ants scurrying around trying to find that last crumb uh, of food somewhere. And so I put them all out that we had in overstock. And uh, I called him. I said, "Uh, (laughs) I can't even get it on the shelf. They're taking it out of my hand uh, literally some of the things and so I said uh, we won't have anything left by tomorrow morning if this doesn't slow down and so he asked me to run another route Saturday morning and so I went over there and ran another route Saturday morning and as I went back in Saturday a good portion of it was already gone I said all that to say this uh, I'm not overly concerned uh, and maybe I should but with my age and and so forth. I'm not quite as worried about the uh, coronavirus as perhaps many others, rightfully so. But as I was going through this, the thought crossed my mind how fragile society really is. I saw things Friday and Saturday that I've never seen in my life. 
I believe some, it might have been Christie. Somebody was telling me that Walmart, and I don't know what it is about toilet paper that everybody just, you know, got to have some toilet paper. But uh, I was told that wa- one of the Walmarts, and I think it was the one in Benton, it may have been Christie was telling me, said that they got another shipment of, of toilet paper in, and they actually had to post a guard. Somebody to keep the peace from grabbing toilet paper. And the thought really did cross my mind as to literally how fragile society is. If you see what's going on in Paris right now, you realize that, f- that, that society can be a powder keg just waiting for an excuse to blow up. A few years ago, we experienced some semblance of that over some, some racial tensions in, in St. Louis and things of that nature. And, and I guess what I'm getting at is if you study and look closely at end-time events, what we've gone through in the last few days and may yet go through in our near future still yet is going to become a whole lot more commonplace. And it's going to get much worse. I remember when I was a kid, we learned a song at, at church camp one year. Uh, it's a song entitled, I Wish We'd All Been Ready. And it, and it goes through a, a period of time after the rapture, and it's describing different scenes. And, and one of the lines that's always stood out in my mind from that song was, A piece of bread could buy a bag of gold. I thought about that again last night. Brother Bill Wright was talking, I believe it was Brother Chuck, and uh, they were walking in, uh, getting into their vehicles to leave after our meeting, and Brother Bill said something about trading two cases of toilet paper for some stock in Murphy and, and things like that. And, and, and the reality began to set in uh, yet again of how fragile society can be. New viruses that come around, the economic impact that this one's going to have, uh, just the, the violence and the racial tension and, and, and the fact that we live in a society where uh, law enforcement is not respected or appreciated and, and valued and honored anymore, but they pull over somebody that uh, has simply run a red light or not stopped at a stop sign or as many of us have done at point in time, did a, the California rolling stop through a stop sign because nobody else was coming anyway. And they pull over to give them a citation, and their life is taken from them. I'm not painting things worse than they really are. This is reality. And as we consider that, we might think, well, the pathway to joy, there's just no way to be happy right now. There's no way to have true joy right now. But Paul wrote the book of Philippians, And he talked over and over through that book about joy and about rejoicing. And it is a term that appears many times in the book of Philippians. Several times per chapter, he mentions the Greek word for joy or rejoicing. Say, well, yeah, but he wasn't living in a time where there was a coronavirus. He lived in a time of Nero. And Nero was a bloodthirsty persecutor. In fact, Paul was going through some things that 
you and I have never experienced. And yet he said he could be joy-filled. If you remember, Paul wanted to go to Bithynia, didn't he not, in the book of Acts? And as he was making plans, he and Silas, to go over to Bithynia, God slammed the door shut on that, didn't he? God said, I don't want you to go Bithynia. I want you to come over here to Macedonia. Now understand that Paul was, uh, was a Pharisee, and, and it was hard for him to consider the idea that a Gentile was, was worth saving, let alone could be saved. And, and so God is saying, I want you to go to Macedonia, and Paul knows this is a call to go to the, the, to the Greeks and to the Gentiles. But yet there's not that hesitancy, there's not that arguing with God. He simply changes his plans and leaves the idea of going to Bithynia. And instead he goes to Macedonia and he gets there. And his very first stop, he goes out by a riverside. And there is a woman there who is a seller of purple. And they're by the, the, the riverside and they're having a prayer meeting. And Paul meets Lydia, the seller of purple. And no doubt Paul thinks at first, well... God knew what he was doing. This is, this is a better plan. This is going to work out good. Look, at, uh, I'm in my first stop, and I'm already able to do uh, minister unto people. A little bit later, Paul meets a young woman who is demon-possessed, and because of the possession that she has, she has been given through demonic powers the ability to be a fortune teller. Rather suspect, probably most of them, if they have any power, that's where their powers came from anyway. But she is telling fortunes, and her owners, because she is a slave girl, her owners are making a mint off of her. And, and you get the idea that as she's following Paul around, and she's, she keeps making this announcement over and over again, it's almost like she gets on Paul's nerve. And I can just see Paul just spinning around real quick and rebuking the devil and, and, and casting him out of her. Almost out of just aggravation with her more than anything. But with the loss of the demon spirit within her also then was the loss of the power that she had. Of course, her owners were not very pleased with Paul. And so now Paul is in jail. Paul is in jail, I say. He's in house arrest. He is chained to a Roman guard. And probably what is worse than anything is the whole time he's under house arrest, chained to an old Roman guard, he wants to be out there preaching the gospel, but he's not able to. And then to top it all off, if you look at verses 15 through 17 of the book of Philippians chapter 1, you're going to find that there were several people that were out there preaching just to make it more difficult on the apostle Paul. That's why, that was their whole motivation in preaching. Let's go make matters worse for the Apostle Paul by preaching. I would submit to you today that the Apostle Paul had every reason to be down in the dumps. The Apostle Paul had every reason, and maybe in our minds rightfully so, to have penned the words in 42.5, 43.11, 43, uh, 43.5 Psalms, why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So here's Paul. Not able to do what he wants to do. What his heart is 
is, is, is for. I mean, he, he's given his heart to do this, and he can't. And yet there are those out there that are only doing it to make it worse. And Paul's going to pen a letter in which the theme of the letter is joy and rejoice. If Paul can jo- rejoice chained to a, prisoner gu- a prison guard and in prison itself in Philipp- uh, Philippi, you and I can face the days of the coronavirus and rejoice in God. Not in whether we have 48 packages of toilet paper, but rejoice in God. Philippians chapter 1, verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Think about that for a minute. Every time I think of you, it spurs a memory which causes me to be thankful for or thankful for you. I'm going to tell you what, and and you're probably going to be shocked when I say this. When we are controlled by the flesh, I would submit to you that there's probably not anybody walking the face of this earth that we can say that about. Spouses included. I mean, I'm I'm just being honest. Can you literally say, every time I think of every action that my wife has done or my husband has done, every word that they said has caused me to just smile and and be so happy that they're with me, there are times where you want them to get out of the house and just leave you alone or let me leave the house. It's real life. And yet Paul says... Every time I think of the people at Philippi, I smile and I rejoice and I thank God for them. I would submit to you that's a pretty bold statement, is it not? Always. Notice again, in all remembrance, always, in verse uh, 4, always in, again, every prayer. Every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Because of, the par- of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. If you look at these verses, you begin in verse 3, and the second word that Paul mentions is the idea of thankfulness. I want us to look at, at, at some avenues, some, some pathways that we can travel, that if we will travel these, regardless of what's going on in the society in which we live, regardless whether we have our freedom or we are imprisoned, regardless whether we have 48 uh, rolls of toilet paper or out, regardless of, uh, of the, the, the things that we face, even regardless when, when, when all seems to be just terrible around you if we will travel these paths they all will wind up in the same destination and that is 
the destination of me sitting there being joyful. There was a time when I sat and I listened to a sermon such as this and I thought, oh, that's pie-in-the-sky stuff. That's make-believe. Nobody can actually do that. Nobody can actually go through some of the things that I'm going through in my life and actually be rejoicing. Nobody can be happy all the time. Nobody can, can truly pull this off. Or if it is, it's only something that, that, that the, the upper crust of Christians are able to do. And that is not the case. That is not the case. Paul says, I begin by being thankful. If you and I will travel the path of thankfulness, it with the other path that we'll talk about this morning will always lead you to the place where you can say to others and especially say to God that I am joy-filled. Remind you that Christ came and he taught what he taught, and he gave us what he gave us. He did what he did for us, that our joy might not just get us through the, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the troublesome spots of life, but fail when we come to the big points in life. He said, I came that you might have joy, that you might have it filled full within you, and not just the joy that the world finds because everything is going well, but the joy that is within me, that even though I am facing the cross, I'm still someone filled with joy. The word thankfulness, or the word thank uh, that he uses in verse 3, I thank God, is the word that uh, in the Greek is eucharisto. And it's the same word that uh, we get our English word, Eucharist. Now, if you're not familiar with Eucharist, you've not been around uh, uh, some of the other religions that, that talk about the Lord's Supper and call it a Eucharist, what the, Eucharist, uh, what the idea of a Eucharist is, is that uh, as you are observing the Lord's Supper and you're thinking and being reminded of the substitution uh, substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus Christ on our behalf that as you eat this, this unleavened bread and you drink this fruit of the vine and you're reminded of these things that you become thankful to God for what he has done. That's literally what the idea of, of the Lord's Supper is. That we are reminded and that it, it spurs us to being thankful and so Paul says that, that as I consider certain things, it, it, it spurs me to be thankful. What is it? Go back and look in verse 3. He says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Do you suppose for one moment that the church at Philippi was perfect? Absolutely not. In fact, in chapter uh, 2, uh, he, he, he says, fulfill, in verse 2, chapter 2, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Why would he have to tell them to do these things if they were already as a habit doing them? You don't have to tell somebody who is already making your joy full and complete to make your joy full and complete. They're already doing that. You go on down a little bit later and he says uh, that, that let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Why do you have to tell people to do that if they're already doing that? You go on and you get down to chapter 4 and you're going to find out there's a couple of ladies in the church at, uh, at Philippi that can't get along. 
That's a very reality for most churches at some point in time. They just can't get along. So it's not, it's not that this is the perfect church. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Paul has chosen not to focus on the negative things and focus on the positive things. It's not that they don't exist. And, and it's not that Paul's just saying, well, you just got to have a PMA about everything, a positive mental attitude about everything. But what Paul is doing is Paul is realizing that we are humans and that from time to time, people are going to get kind of crossways a little bit. And from time to time, uh, things are going to get on your nerves. Every now and then, you're going to have one of those bad days and somebody's going to say that thing kind of in that smart aleck tone and, and you're going to want to you know, snap at them. This is real life stuff. Jesus told the disciples, it's impossible, but that offenses are going to come. But what do we, what do we allow to fill our mind as we think of old brother so-and-so or old sister so-and-so? Down through the years, I've known brothers and sisters in Christ, members of the same church, the longest I've ever pastored one particular church was about 10 years. In 10 years, you had many opportunities to hear church member X talk about church member Z. And every time that they did, they never said one nice thing about them. Not one. Well, she always does this. He always does that. These people had their faults. And yet Paul said, you know, when it comes to thinking about them, I'm going to choose not to dwell on that. How many times he accused me of this or how many times she did this. But I'm, not going to cho I, I'm, I'm choosing not to focus on those, but I'm choosing to keep in my, my, my thoughts about them this, which is going to make me be thankful for them. I grew up all my life hearing that forgiving is forgetting. I learned that's not true. It really is not. There are, there are things that you'll never ever be able to forget. There's things I'll never ever be able to forget. So if forgiving and forgetting are the same thing, then I, there's a lot of people I haven't forgiven, and that may be a, a reality. But forgiving is not necessarily forgetting that something happened. Forgetting is getting to the point where you no longer bear hard or, or ill will against, or you no longer bear a grudge, or you, you continually snob them every time you get a chance to, or you continually say things bad about them. The idea of forgiving is, is I've let it go. Not that I've forgotten it. It's still there. I just let it go. Is that not what the very definition of forgiveness? The word forgiveness simply means to send away. The sin is not just necessarily forgotten, but it's just let go so that it's not constantly in the forefront of my mind. One way to have true joy if you're a child of God is to be thankful. To be thankful. You know, somebody asked me the other day, said, do you not ever have anything good to say about 
our world in which we live. Our world has come so far from when I was a kid, it breaks my heart. I'm, I'm sorry. It breaks my heart to see where we are as citizens of this nation compared to where we used to be. And maybe I do go overboard on talking about those negative things. But all in all, I'm still pretty thankful that I live here. I don't remember who I was talking to the other day, but I'm glad I don't live in Little Rock. I'm glad I don't live in West Memphis. I'm glad I don't live in downtown Detroit. I don't want to live in Los Angeles. I kind of like being able to leave my house, which is outside city limits on one side, drive through the entire city and get to the city limits on the other side of town and it not take me more than about 10 to 15 minutes. That's kind of nice, isn't it? I don't have to stop and wait for three hours to get through red lights. I feel safe, relatively safe. I grew up in a part of the world and in a time in the world where the gospel was readily available and where uh, it was common practice that families went to the Lord's house on Sunday. I am thankful for my time at the seminary under the men that I had. We have a lot that we can be thankful for and if we'll be thankful, it'll lead us to that idea of of joyfulness. You know, Paul thought about this beloved congregation to whom he was writing, and his joy just literally overflowed. He was not thinking so much about his own afflictions as about their love, not so much about his own physical suffering as about their spiritual steadfastness. He was thinking about their selfless generosity, their progress, and their joy in the faith about his beloved brethren that he longed to see. And that is why he began verse 3 and he could pin it with, I thank God every time I think of you, I thank God. What do you think of when you think of old sister so-and-so? The pathway to joy begins with thankfulness. It also involves remembering then. Paul said in verse 3, I thank God upon my every remembrance of you, recalling and recollecting certain things. Paul said, I remember how the church at Philippi started. It started when I went by the riverside and I met Lydia. I remember the excitement. I remember how she opened her home and invited all, all that would come to her house and to begin to worship. Some could have said, well, my house isn't clean enough. Others could have said, well, where's everybody going to sit? And how are we going to do this and, and all that? But she just was so excited to throw open the doors of her house and welcome all that would come. Paul said, I remember the Philippian jailer. I remember how God delivered me from that jail. I remember I remember these things. His every remembrance was of their kindness, their goodness, their successes. He wasn't denying their weaknesses, their shortcomings, but rather looking past them. You know, Paul described love as that very thing. Love doesn't keep a list. Would that God's people would throw their list away would just throw them away. 
I, I, I shared with you before, the first church I pastored had such a battle between two controlling families of the New Testament church there where I was. And, and you could tell them all day long, it, it's, neither one of you are supposed to control the church. It's God's supposed to be the head of it. But they had battled for so long that they, don't even, they didn't even remember anymore what they were battling about. They just hate, it was like the Hatfields and McCoys. We really don't remember what it was about. We just hate them. I heard them say that of each other. We just hate them. That's all there is to it. We just hate them. Paul could have found reasons to not particularly like this member over this member. But Paul said, I work. And see, here's the thing. It takes spiritual maturity. It takes a whole lot of work that when I think of somebody, I don't just automatically think of this that is a negative in their life. It's not easy. Not at all. Love doesn't keep a record book. On the other hand, though, one who constantly focuses on the negatives, the faults, the shortcomings, the slights of others is a person that is not controlled by the Holy Spirit, but rather is controlled by the flesh. And maybe even is giving evidence to the fact that they don't know Christ as their Savior, despite their many professions that they are saved. Bitterness, resentment, a critical spirit, holding on to grudges, and all the like are the works of the flesh, not the spirit. Paul said, it's work, but I'm thankful, and I remember. What is it that we can remember? If nothing else, I can remember they are blood-bought. By the Lamb of God. You know, if I could just remember that about everybody that is truly a born-again child of God, it would help me and cause me to be able to have good remembrance and recollections. When we have a, a, a proper remembering, when we are thankful, then we can be traveling the road of joy. He, he, he talks about his intercession. He says that, that he thanks God and that he is always in every prayer of his for them. I won't ask you to respond in any way with a, a raised hand or anything like that, but have you ever had somebody ask you to remember them in prayer and you said you would and you never did? Honestly, sure, every one of us have, haven't we? Every one of us. Paul said, I pray, thanking God for them, having fond memories, and I pray for them, intercessory prayer. It seems that throughout most of the history of churches, only a minority of Christians have ever known the true, full joy that God gives to his obedient children. Lack of joy reveals itself generally in three different ways in negative thoughts and talk about others, in a lack of concern for their welfare, and in the failure to intercede on their behalf. Joyless believers are self-centered, selfish, proud, and often vengeful, and their self-centeredness in inevitably manifests itself in prayerlessness. You know, intercessory prayer is, is just a great, tool if for no other reason instead of going to God with all of my woes and all of my uh, 
you know, my, my, my desires, my wants, and all my, my complaints, let's just be honest, my complaints and grumblings. If I'm praying for you, is it not lifted my mind off of my own sorrows, my own, you know, heartfelt grief? Again, Paul could have said, man, I'm sitting here, I, I've been imprisoned. Uh, I'm now chained to this Roman guard. And you got to know, I know we try to make stained glass saints out of these men, but you got to know along the way, at least in the back of his mind, is this man who's saying, do you remember, God, I really wanted to go to Bithynia? <laughs> you remember that? And you wouldn't let me do that, and so you brought me here, and now, look at this. It's easy to get focused on I don't have this. I wish this was better. But if we'll be intercessors, pray for others, it will help us to travel that path of joy. Paul was thankful. He remembered. He was an intercessor. And then he said participation is a path of joy. Getting involved. Getting involved. The word for participation here is, is the word that, that is often translated as fellowship. I, I avoid using that in this setting because fellowship generally pictures in our mind going back there and everybody fixing a plate of cookies or cake and getting them something to drink and sitting down in our same cliques and our same groups and, 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 and you know, not branching out of that and then sitting there and eating and uh, getting up and cleaning up our mess and going home. But the word fellowship literally means to have something in common, a common goal, a common purpose. And because of that common ground, now we share in the accomplishment of that. We share in the, the, the duties and obligations of that common ground. I want, you, I want you to pay close attention to what Paul is presenting to us. And, and, and I don't want to go overboard on this, but I, listen. If you are a born-again child of God, you are not going to have the joy. I am not going to be joy-filled until I get busy doing what God asked us to do. Listen, we have a common ground. We may differ politically, we may differ on sports teams, we may differ on, on whether to buy this kind of car or this truck, we may differ on how often you ought to trade it in, we may differ on whether we ought to have services only on Sunday morning, but I'm telling you, we right now have common ground, and that's the kingdom of God. And if we're not involved sharing in its obligations, we cannot be joy-filled. You show me a child of God sitting on the sidelines, and I'll show you a child of God that doesn't have the joy he ought to have. God called us. He saved us to serve. And if we don't serve, then we're not fulfilling our purpose. And we wind up being joyless. Have you ever had a, a particular responsibility that was yours? That Let me do it this way. I'll do it this way instead. I'm not a gardener. I'm, I'm not a very good farmer. Um, I hated weeding. 
Dad would tell me to go out there and weed the garden. Well, Dad, it'd be a whole lot easier just to cut it all down. You know, that's kind of my thought. <laughs> uh, Walmart may run out of toilet paper, but they ain't run out of potatoes yet. Just cut it all down. I mean, I can go out there with a lawnmower in just a few seconds. It's done. Or I can go out there and I can get on my hands and knees and crawl around in it and every now and then run across a fire ant bed and get tore up. And I can painstakingly pull weeds. And, you know, every now and then you find that one that's got roots that's really went down there and you got to pull and pull and pull and pull. And, you know, it's, it's, it's hard, hot work. But have you ever got done with it, maybe out here, and you look back and you think, well, that sure does look a lot better. That looks a lot better. I can see that I accomplished something. There is joy in meeting a challenge and accomplishing the challenge and doing your best along the way. So how much joy do we have as it pertains to serving God? Are we sharing in that responsibility? Just a couple more. Expectation. Expectation. Paul said, I know, in verse 6, he said, being confident, being persuaded of this very thing, that he, and I realize your H is not capitalized there, but it is a reference to God, that God has began a good work in you, and what's he going to do as far as that good work is concerned? He's going to finish it. An expectation. Now, Am I going to give you reason to doubt that God's going to finish a good work in me from time to time? Probably so, as I live in the flesh from time to time. But Paul said, I am persuaded of this. That's a child of God, and God began a work in him whenever he saved him, and that work is going to be finished. Now, I want you to look closely at verse 6. When is that? Until the day of Jesus Christ. This is not that day of the Lord that we read of so many times that, that talks about the end time events. But this day of Jesus Christ is another matter. It is that day in which God perfects us. He glorifies us. Remember the song we used to sing as a kid? I think Sister Donna and I was talking about this one day. He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. Took him just a week to make this, uh, the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient he must be. He's still working on me. But I want you to know one of these days that job's going to be concluded and I will be just like him. And I may get aggravated with you and you may get aggravated with me, but we can look at each other and know that there's an expectation that all of my bad traits are going to fall off one of these days and you'll be able to put up with me a lot easier than you can now. Paul said, you know, I want to be joy-filled. Christ said that I should be joy-filled. I've got to be thankful if I'm going to do this. I've got to remember, the, the focus on remembering the, the positives and the good things and, and, and how, how special they are and how they've helped me. And if nothing else, if they've not done anything other than caused me problems, I've got to remember that Christ died for them and loved them. I've got to be thankful. I've got to remember. I've got to be an intercessor. I've got to participate. I've got to have an expectation that one of these days, this life is over. And we'll go to a world where there is no coronavirus, there is no uh, cancer, there is no more sin, no more sorrows. And he closes and he says, the pathway 
The joy is affection. Verse 7, he says, even as it is meat, it's, it's a right thing. Paul's saying, listen, now, for me to feel the way that I feel towards you is a correct thing. Even as it's meet for me to think, notice the word think this of you all, because I have you in my heart. I want to stop and make a point very quickly. I know it's about time to go, but you don't have to come back tonight or Wednesday night, so you might get a little extra on Sunday mornings. A lot of people talk about love and what love is. And people either want to go one side or the other side way too far. Love that is based on nothing other than feelings and emotion and sticky, slobbery, gooey honey dripping off of you, that's not love. But on the other side, people want to battle that and say, well, that feelings mean nothing. You haven't read what Paul said. Paul said love starts with a thought, but then it moves from the thought process to the heart. Paul says, I have a love for you that is a right feeling to have towards you, but it starts in my mind with what I think. You've got to balance love. If it's all just feelings, then there's going to be times where you're not going to feel like loving. So you've got to think, I'm going to love this person. Regardless of how hard they make it to love them, I'm going to love them. But if I cut out all the feelings, I haven't really loved either. Because if you cut out all the feelings, then you walk around like a robot saying, I love you, I love you, I love you. But I don't prove it by my actions. My wife, very ticklish. And for many years when we first got married, I I would just find joy and and go and buy and tickling her. And then she'd get mad and she'd snap at me or whatever and I'd say, I'm sorry. And she'd say this, she said, no, you're not. No, you're not. If you were, guess what? You'd quit tickling me. If you really were sorry about this, you wouldn't do this anymore. I said, well, I'm sorry, I just, you know I love you. And then again, she said, I beg to differ. (laughs) If you truly loved me, it would be evident in the fact that you wouldn't do this. And why I haven't tickled her in years. Her words struck a chord with me. Doesn't do me any good to walk out the door, go to work and say, I love you. Come in from work and gripe and complain about everything and be in a bad mood. And before I go to bed at night, tell her I love you. Those are just empty words if there's not some evidence. So Paul says, listen, it's right. It is a correct thing for me to feel the way that I feel towards you. It starts with a thought and it's moved into feelings. Even as it is meat, it's proper, it's, it's good Even it is these things for me to think this of you all because I have you in my heart inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel, you all are, again, sharers, fellowshippers, partakers, partners of my grace. For God is my record how greatly I long after you and in the bowels, the mercies of Jesus Christ.
lot going on in our world today. A lot of sorrow. A lot of fear. A lot of anxiety. I wish I could tell you this will all be done in a couple weeks. And that will be the end. But as we move closer and closer and closer to end time events. I submit to you we haven't seen the beginning of how bad it's going to get. But on the darkest, darkest, most dreary days with a cross in front of you. A stinking Roman guard chained to you. People are trying to cause problems for you by doing this and that and the other as those that preach the gospel with a wrong motive. In the midst of all of that going on, we can say, soul, why are you so upset? Why are, she, why are you so anxious about this? Why, why is there so much trouble? Why are you cast down? You know the answer. Hope in God. Have joy that is full. But understand, if we're living a prayerless, thankless, ingratitude, life that's not participating in the work of God, we're not, we're not praying on behalf of others. If we're living lives that are outside these paths, our joy cannot be full. I want you to know this morning, Christ died for you, and he gave you a new nature that can be joy-filled. It's not easy. It's a lot of work, but it can happen.